You're listening to the Psychedelic Invest Podcast, where we speak with founders, CEOs, investors, advisors, experts, and thought leaders in the brave new world of psychedelics and entheogenic medicines. Brought to you by Psychedelic Invest, bringing you unparalleled psychedelic investing data and analysis. Psychedelic Invest is the industry's leading resource for those looking to invest in the burgeoning psychedelic industry. For more information and to access all of the podcast episodes, check out our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast. And now here's the host of the Psychedelic Invest podcast, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome everyone. This is the Psychedelic Invest podcast. My name is Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. Our guest today is Karina Cunha. She is founder and CEO of Satori. We're going to talk to her about the world of wellness, the world of trauma, the world of integration, the world of psychedelics, and really kind of understanding, I guess, where we are in terms of how these compounds, how these medicines work practically for folks, the kind of different applications and opportunities, and sort of the complexity that comes with it. You know, these are powerful and, you know, how you take them, how you apply them, kind of the, we talk a lot about set and setting in this world, you know, becomes huge factors to that. And so I'm just fascinated with people who are actually doing work with people on in this space and and understanding really on the ground what's happening and and where are we in terms of understanding the processes and the power and and really the the transformation that can happen. So with all that, Karina, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time. Before we dig into all the work you're doing today and uh, you know kind of the world of psychedelics as it stands now, I would love to get background, uh, understand your journey, your experience. How did you get into this work? How did you get into psychedelics? Give us the story. Well, so basically when I was younger, I grew up with a mother with borderline and narcissistic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. It was pretty tough upbringing with that. Um, and when I was 16 years old, I tried to commit suicide. Yeah. Um, so I was uh, very depressed. I was on antidepressants for about like six years or so. And for me, they didn't really work I kept on being rotated between different antidepressants. Um, At some point, the doctors even thought I was bipolar and put me on some mood stabilizers. And after going through a pretty, you know, depressing journey, to say the least, I decided that that wasn't actually working for me and I wanted to try something different. So I took a break uh, from the antidepressants. And in the course of that, I was doing a postgraduate degree at the University of Edinburgh in behavioral and cognitive psychology. And I came across some articles from Imperial College London talking about the power of psilocybin for depression. And then I wanted to try that. And Mm -hmm. so I tried uh, my first psychedelic when I was 24. And then over the next six months, I experimented with a number of different things from psilocybin, LSD, to ayahuasca. And I basically cured my depression and existential crisis after that. So I became a big proponent of psychedelics, but it was just not socially acceptable back then to be talking about it. So I guided a lot of people in my personal life, friend group towards it. And then last year, actually the year before, I saw that there was an accelerator incubator for to create a psychedelic company. And I have had an experience with entrepreneurship. 
So I wanted to design a company that gave people the access, education, and community and integration support that I wish I had had when I was starting my journey. Yeah. I'm curious, like what, what do you feel or think or know that the psychedelics did for you to help you with your healing? I mean, what was the, I guess, what was, what was the kind of experience that you had that, you know, got that kind of change to happen for you in terms of your mental health? Yeah, for me, it gave me perspective of my place in the world. I had incredible existential crisis that yeah. was crippling. And that actually started for me when I was six years old. I was obsessed with astrophysics and I would think about the nature of the universe. And then like, I literally wow. had, I was thinking about what would happen what was there before the Big Bang and what the universe was, ex was expanding into. Um, yeah. And so I started having these questionings, you know, since I know myself and, and I grew up atheist. So when I started looking around, you know, life, I would get this yeah. crippling anxiety when I thought that I would no longer exist and I would just go into empty space and blackness. And yeah. um, and so for me, psychedelics showed me that there is more to what we perceive to reality and it made me connect with an aspect of the divine. Um, yeah. So that was the first step for me to heal, to just not be having panic attacks about death. Mm -hmm. And then in other ways, it helped uncover and analyze a lot of the trauma that I experienced in my life and then begin the process of learning how to have self-love and establish boundaries and connect with my emotions as well. Because when you are so traumatized, you learn yeah. to no longer react to emotional stimuli. And so part of my more recent journey has been how can I reintegrate some aspects of my development that were you know, pushed down because I had to adapt to a pretty threatening environment um, yeah. that we're not able to be expressed. Yeah, I find that most of this stuff is, uh, you know, coping strategies that, you know, people have developed in early life in very severe situations that are highly effective in those those situations. But then when those situations are no longer the case or they move on with life and they're in new contexts, they become maladaptive and it's like, I, I can't not use these strategies or I can't develop new strategies that are more effective or, or appropriate for of these course. areas. Yeah, yeah, every maladaptive behavior was adaptive at some uh, point yeah. in time. It's just that once the threat is removed, you perpetuate that cycle and then it can create problems. Yeah. I'm curious. I mean, it sounds like you you experimented or, or were working with several different, you know, psychedelics or medicines. What did you notice around sort of the differences? Is there anything? I mean, did they kind of help you in different ways? Were some more powerful than others? Did any of them like not help you for some reason? I'm, I'm just curious, given given the experiments that you ran. Well, I have a re repertoire of them. I have tried yes. a lot of things. Uh, probably the only major one that I haven't tried yet is ibogaine, iboga, um, but for me, um, mushrooms help me have a bigger perspective on life, connect to the divine, but also has a highly emotional component to it, where I like to take smaller doses of mushrooms, like between one to two grams, to uh, really connect with my feelings and think about how am I perceiving that situation, because I got so much in the in the mindset yeah. or pattern of not connecting with my feelings and just being able to go through 
work situations, personal relationships that are actually pushing down my needs. And so mushrooms have helped me reconnect with my emotions. LSD, I find that can be quite similar to mushrooms in the sense of that greater understanding of life, but it's a bit more far removed where it allows you to have so much clarity as to anything you want to analyze, almost like your mind is connected to a supercomputer and then yep. just, you know, have that cognitive flexibility that I haven't ever experienced with anything else and it happens to be my favorite. And then ayahuasca, it feels that you are observing the nature of the universe and is one of the biggest mirrors. Uh, you Every issue and fear that you have can come up, but then at the end, it gives me a lot of gratitude towards the challenges that I have had and what it means for my personal development. And um, it just makes me feel that like... Um, the universe is always on my side and it almost had an yeah. alien vibe to it as well of like seeing two different dimensions. Yeah. DMT is the active component of ayahuasca. So when I smoke DMT, it doesn't give me, you know, your, when you actually do enough DMT, you're far, far gone into some hyperspace. Um, mm -hmm. And so I find that it really doesn't help me as much to process things. So I find that is something that is interesting for personal curiosity, but I haven't felt that is as therapeutical for me. 5-MeO-DMT can be similar to DMT in some ways, but it made me feel like the, just a great sense of love yeah. in the universe, uh, less so the imageries that I get from DMT. I find that ketamine, when I have gone into K-holes, I found that it was helpful to just have that separation of the ego and self and be able to observe that there is something that is not your thoughts or your feelings that is separate from you that consistently exists mm -hmm. and i have been known to enjoy it for partying when you are dancing it can yeah. be really great to get into music that can also be said for 2cb which is a really interesting compound created <laughs> Oh my God, I'm forgetting the name, the Osra Picao that gives you similar vibes as MDMA with a bit of the visual okay. of LSD, but then you don't have a come down. So that can be fun at certain instances, but I also find that it's not as therapeutical. Although for people that are scared of something like LSD, it's much more short acting, so it can be a way for you to experience um, Got it. similar visuals. And then I can keep on going, but I think that that's a good How, like, I, I mean, it's amazing that you have this broad personal experience. And, you know, as you're going through these compounds, I'm reacting to them in my own experiences. And in some cases, like, oh, yeah, I'm totally on board with you there. In other cases, I'm like, oh, no, like I had a really different kind of feeling around that. How much have you kind of learned, you know, in terms of your own experiences and as you've worked with other people, helping them kind of navigate or understand that this is might land differently or it might be a different either kind of experience or impact and how do you help you know kind of unpack that or, or i guess consult around that to help people figure out given who they are what they want to focus on the work that they want to do what the compounds you know what compounds are available how to kind of make good choices yeah so i think that's something super super important to note is just quality of the compound yeah even the same strain of mushrooms from the same grower at different like seasons could have a different potency and different effect but you also with mushrooms 
the range is so wide. There are like, for example, mushrooms that made, makes me just have feelings and not have any visuals, while there are other mushrooms that can look almost like DMT. So the range is enormous just in that category as well. Something as well that I have found is since moving to America, pretty much the of the LSD that I have seen here is not actually real LSD. It's an analog, so it's not actually the molecule that Albert Hoffman created, which is LSD-25. Yeah, and so yeah. what I have realized is that that analog, it, it gives you energy, it gives you some visuals, but it's not going to have the cognitive flexibility and the depth that something like LSD has with ayahuasca. It's such a mixed bag. And it's actually one of the reasons why I became interested in creating something like Satori, because yeah. the different way that you create the brew can be a completely, totally different ayahuasca journey sure. for certain yeah. people. And so I personally found that outside of the Amazon rainforest or like countries in South America, the intensity of the ayahuasca tends to be lower. And I, you know, like, obviously there are outliers to that, but I just think that the medicine doesn't travel as well. And even in personal experiences, if people, for example, have been regular weed smokers, they may not get any visuals, they may have very little impact, or if they are having a poor diet that has a lot yeah. of processed foods, they also may have difficulty. And so that's actually why oftentimes people go to these ayahuasca retreats for weeks because they need to almost cleanse their body before they are kind of like shown the next level, you know, almost like a gradual process. So yeah. I need to take all of these things into consideration. And then obviously the level of experience that the person has, what they are looking to achieve to make a recommendation of the best tree, like course of action for them, the best practitioner Different retreats have such different, you know, frameworks of how they work. Some are much more medical in nature. Others are going to be a bit more hippie, let's put it that way. Yeah. And the setting of that you create that is going to completely impact your experience as well. Yeah. So uh, I guess tell me a little bit about how you're approaching this problem, right? So pe people that have needs, interests, want to have these experiences, get the power of this medicine. Like, how do you, I guess, what part of the population are you really hoping to help? And then how, like, I guess, specifically, what are you helping them with? Is it the consultation? Is it the information resources? Is it the actual retreats themselves? Is it integration? Like, where have you seen the need and who you're trying to, you know, really create value for? Yeah. So when I started Satori last year, um, my goal was really to create a platform where people could have access to four things that I believe are essential for you to actually achieve healing with psychedelics, which is education, access to safe and legal peak experiences, integration, and then community. Our goal was to create a tech platform that people would come to find a retreat and then they would work with us to do integration and community. That said, after working with, you know, dozens of retreats last year and speaking to over 500 customers, I realized that there is a problem in the industry where most of the retreats that we have today are geared to what we would call retreat masters, which is like this target demographic that I created for, for us, which are people that already have experiences with psychedelics and that they see value in the psychedelic experience and almost plan their holidays around it and they are willing therefore to spend a larger 
amount of money yeah. on the experiences and also commit more time. So, mm -hmm. but what I noticed from most customers, especially people that are new to psychedelic, which is obviously much a much larger percentage of the population, is that they are looking to have a safe and relatively uh, stripped back psychedelic experience uh, where they just want a guide there to support them and create that safe space without all of the bells and whistles of a retreat. And so that became a problem for me as we didn't have retreats that really catered to what people were coming to us for. And so I'm actually in the process of getting Satori acquired and working with a retreat center in Oregon to create affordable experiences that are quite short in duration mm. where people can be having that, you know, strip for strip back version where they don't need to be spending weeks in the jungle or pay very large prices because you have a personal chef and some <laughs> yoga sessions. Interesting. What and I guess how does it change? I mean I I mean obviously the kind of the I guess the experiential like you know, process is a little different, right? You're not having all this kind of, you know, retreat, kind of luxury retreat kind of things, but like, what are the essence of it that you maintain and how, like, what are the pieces that are critical to actually have experienced the power of the medicine and, and actually get the impact that you want? Like, where, where do you need to kind of keep in place or what's the structure that you try to? So, uh, you know, like there are essentially three steps to a psychedelic experience. So preparation, peak experience, and then integration. And so we maintain all of that. And one of the things that we are also focusing on, my co-founder for this retreat, he is finishing his medical school degree in Stanford right now. And we're really looking at taking a holistic view of the patient from analyzing their hormones and blood panels and mm, seeing if there is any deficit in those areas. Because when people have depression, sometimes it can be a hormonal imbalance. In fact, I actually had that with my thyroid. And it can, people can be having very poor habits around their eating, um, sure. sleep, etc. So that alone, having a view of your holistic health already in, helps, you know, the psychedelic experience be more impactful after the experience. Because even if a person has a life-changing insight, if they are struggling to get out of bed because of their thyroid, um, you know, like yeah, the, exactly. the, the depression is going to stay. Um, yeah. So that's part of our preparation and then also doing a lot of intention setting, trying to uncover as much as you can of the things that you want to bring to that psychedelic container. So when you come to the container, you already have some sort of insight and a way to also guide your thoughts. So that creates a more effective time when you're under the experience. Because if you really think about, you know, the time that you're under the influence of mushrooms, it's going to be anywhere about three to four hours that you're really inside of that peak experience. And so it's not that much time uh, yeah. if you have a lot of things that you want to uncover. So if we can help people structure that, um, then it becomes more effective. And then after that is really the integration. So helping people think about how they are structuring their lives, their habits, showing them practices from meditation to breath work that can help them regulate the nervous system and also ways to take the lessons that they have learned for themselves and the psychedelic experience and help them think about how do they actually integrate those changes in their lives. And that can be so scary for a lot of people. 
Yeah. Because sometimes psychedelic experience could show, oh my God, I'm extremely unhappy in this marriage. <laughs> and then it's like, do you, a lot of people will not potentially be able to make those jumps. And yeah. so part of it is helping people accept some of the things that they may have seen and take concrete steps rather than allow the psychedelic experience to just be an experience rather than a, the first step to transformative change. Yeah, it, it is always, you know, you have these amazing, insightful experiences, but then like kind of what do you do with it, right? Like how do you actually take that insight, take that learning and actually turn it into action and, and change if that's really what you want to do? I'm curious. So you mentioned Oregon. Um, tell me a little bit about you know, kind of how you're operating within the current uh, kind of legal market here in the U.S. internationally. I mean, I know various countries, you know, have legalized various things or at least decriminalized various things. And, you know, some of this operates, you know, in somewhat of a gray area of, you know, untested, <laughs> kind of untested legal situations. But I guess how have you kind of mapped out, you know, where the needs are, where the opportunities are, where you want to operate? You know, like where like where you see opportunity and what do you think is going to be happening in the future in terms of kind of legal spaces for this? Yeah, of course. So globally, the legal situation is still a challenge. There are a lot of more places that are decriminalized. And that's something that we also ended up having some challenges with Satori as we wanted to provide people access to a greater number of retreats. But something like Spain and Portugal is decriminalized. So we didn't want to be infringing any laws uh, yeah. So that's also a reason to be focusing in one specific jurisdiction. And so in terms of Oregon, it's fully legal there. You need a certain like a license to be practicing as a facilitator and in you can practice in this specific facility. So we are in the process of applying for a license and we are beginning the fundraise for our retreat center at the end of the summer. Um, mm -hmm hoping to open early next year. We already have the entire team on board because of some regulations around 280E, which is a challenge that was present in the cannabis industry where sure. you cannot deduct costs from your uh, profit. It means that your tax on your entire revenue. Um, yeah. So that increases costs for a lot of companies by like 30% or something. So having that entire framework of how we structure the company has been super important for us. And so that's one of the reasons why we haven't rushed into trying to open a center this year. And then there are other things that we're also trying to do to figure out how we can make our retreat much more accessible in terms of price than the ones that are currently available. And um, for me, this was really essential because it always broke my heart when I would be speaking with clients yeah. and their budgets could not afford the traditional retreats. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Um, I guess, how are you doing that? Is this, we're focusing more on group programs or how, how are you making these things more affordable for folks? Yeah. So what we're doing is that um, we are currently looking at a model for our first center where people are not staying overnight. So they're really coming in for sessions throughout the day and they can be booking their own accommodation and, you know, get their own meals, et cetera, outside of the facility. Yeah. With that, it takes away a lot of the overheads that increase the cost of, you know, some of these centers. And then that also allows people to be much more flexible with their budget. So if somebody wants to be on the cheaper side, they can book an Airbnb. 
uh, or if they want to go into a more high end, they can book their own hotel. But the thing is that the entire processing side of our retreat is really something we don't want to compromise. So we're still looking to be working with the best facilitators, provide um, an amazing experience. It's just that now, rather than being you know, a four-day stay at the center, you're just really coming in for the day and then working with our team remotely for preparation and integration. Yeah. And what have been some of the other challenges? I mean, obviously, fundraising can be a challenge for these kind of companies. You know, real estate, like a, there's all been a host of challenges. What are the big ones that you've seen so far and how have you kind of worked through them? Yeah, so fundraising is definitely one. So we have had a lot of angels that are interested, but sometimes people that are really high net worth, they are concerned about the federal government in the U.S. persecuting them eventually yeah. because it's legal at the state level, but not at the federal level. So that has been, yeah, a challenge. So it's really targeting specific groups of people that we will not face, be as concerned about that. Um, other challenges that we face is obviously finding a location, finding places that you are allowed to um, have a retreat. And so we are working with a number of REITs, which are these organizations that already got these locations pretty much set up that you can rent from them. And then, you know, it's just really about figuring out what do you actually want to offer to people because I found that so many retreats they are great and they also tend to be quite similar to each other in some of their offerings both in terms of price point and what is there so really understanding what is our value proposition has been something that we spend quite a lot of time on and that combination of holistic health and the psychedelic experience is where we feel most inclined to be working on because while mental health can be supported by psychedelics, it should not be taken out of the equation when you're thinking about the whole human, which I find that so much of our you know, medical practice in also the psychedelic industry is so siloed, where you're really just going for one treatment and then you are basically leaving out the other things that can be causing distress to someone unchecked. And so yeah. you're minimizing your chances for actual change. Yeah. And who, I guess, who would you recommend, uh, you know, people listening to this, you know, who do you recommend think about or consider these kind of therapies and these kind of experiences? And is there anyone that you would say is not a good candidate for these kind of experiences? Yeah. So for us, really, we create a safe space for people that are first-timers to psychedelics or have had experiences that potentially were in a party setting or something like that where they want to actually go deeper into their own psyche. A lot of people that come to us are people that are really into wellness, meditation, personal development, and they want to use psychedelics to unlock that next step of their minds. We also have had people with um, depression, etc., that are interested. Um, so, but that proves a challenge because when you are on SSRIs, which are the traditional antidepressants, it can dull the effects of psychedelics. Um, yeah. And so we are, we really need to take those people case by case and sometimes wean them off of the antidepressants before they uh, can experience, can be ready to actually experience a psychedelic experience. And then we also, and then in terms of people that should not be doing this is if you have a history of 
any psychotic episodes where there yeah. it's because you have schizophrenia or bipolar, the jury is still out on whether that's something that you should do. You know, like a lot of it's recommended not to do it. Right now, there are a number of clinical trials exploring the benefits of it. Um, okay. Bipolar more so than schizophrenia. Schizophrenia tends to be a no. And especially if you have that history in your family. So it means that you could have a more propensity for that. And this psychedelic could lead you to have, yeah, yeah to experience that. Got it. Yeah. Always, always a risk in those, in those cases. This has been a pleasure, Karina. Um, if people want to find out more about you, more about Satori, what is the best way to get that information? Yeah, to be honest, I would say that um, they should be focusing on the new retreat in Oregon, so okay. rather than Satori. So right now, our website is aonretreats.com. And so is A-E-O-N retreats.com. Okay, great. I'll make sure that the link is in the show notes here. Karina, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Of course it was as well. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Psychedelic Invest podcast. If you liked this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and leave us a review. You can find more episodes on all the major podcasting platforms and our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast.